Hello everybody, Julian Charles here of themindrenewed.com coming to you almost as usual after another summer break from the depths of the Lancashire countryside here in the UK. And today I am very pleased to welcome to the programme Dini Fieldervan Cleef, who is an author of educational books and teen sci-fi and one of the co-founders of a project called The Vaccine Control Group or more fully, the SARS-CoV-2 Vaccine Control Group, or is it SARS-CoV-2 Vaccine Control Group? Never quite sure about that, uh, which I encountered a number of weeks ago online. And I think it might have been via Dr. Gary Sidley's blog, uh, Corona Bubble. Might have been the Daily Skeptic. Not, not quite sure. Anyway, I did encounter it. And uh, I think it's a very interesting project, um, which I confess I've not yet signed up to. So I've got some questions to ask about it, which is why our guest kindly joins us today. Uh, Dini, welcome to The Mind Renewed. Hello, thank you. I'm very, very grateful to you for agreeing to speak with us. Now, as I said to you before the interview, I need to tell listeners as well, we do have a builder outside doing some repointing of this gable end of the house. So there'll be some knocking noises every now and again. So I apologize in advance, both to you and the listeners for that. Um, so um, I have, as I said, quite a few questions to ask about this project. I'll throw those in as we go along. But let's start with a basic idea of what this is all about. What is the vaccine control group or the SARS-CoV-2 vaccine control group? What's the aim of this? Okay, so the aim of it is to record the health outcomes of the voluntarily unvaccinated to compare with um, the same cohort of the vaccinated. So because there there isn't really a control group anymore that the scientists are studying long term, um, so, so we're not going to know what, what happens to people who haven't had the vaccine. Um, we decided as, as a group of citizens, based on lots of people online saying, I'm in the control group, just as a way of saying, you know, I'm not taking the vaccine. This is this is my status. We thought, well, why don't we actually create a control group? And that's what it is. Mm. Um, and it's rather massive. Rather massive. There are a lot of people getting involved in this. A uh, heck of a lot of people. Um, mm. To date, we've got nearly 40,000 participants. Oh, I see. And how long have you been going? Ten weeks. <laughs> wow. Okay, that is very impressive. I have to say, a lot of work for you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, it, mm. it shows the need. Um, we really haven't advertised it at all. Um, people have heard about us. It's really spread organically. So, it just shows you how much people want to know exactly what is the difference between taking the vaccine, the SARS-CoV-2 vaccine, and not taking it. Mm. And so, the idea is that we. In future, we're not going to know this, I think you say on the website, because people who were, by and large, people who were included in the first couple of phases of these trials, well, now that we're into the phase three trial, which is, you know, the biggest trial that's sort of involving everybody kind of thing, everybody who takes the yeah. vaccine, a lot of those people are now vaccinated. Is that right? So we, we don't no longer have a comparison control group. Yeah, as, as far as anything I have read, um, I mean, I'm, I'm not a, a scientist or a doctor, so, mm. you know, I don't know the exact details, but from everything I've read and information on the government's own website of those people, the, and I quote what the government website said, the vast majority have now been vaccinated. So I, d I don't know how many are actually left in the trial who haven't been vaccinated, but mm. one would assume it's not a terribly large number. Yeah. Okay. So just check if I've got this right, because um, I had to just look this up to make sure that my understanding about it was right. So with phase one, generally, this is very, very typical um, with these kinds of trials. You get a small number of people and they tend to be healthy people. Um, they get the injection, sort of check things out first. Then you go to phase two, which is more people, larger numbers of people. That's where you get the use of people talk about placebos. So yes. that would be things like um, saline solution. So that group, you'd be able to, con oh, that's the control group. So well, what happens to them? Because they haven't got the vaccine, they've got a saline solution. Or Maybe, um, you know, they might have some other kind of injection. It, it, just to... it, I think in most mm. cases it wasn't a saline. I, I believe um, it was meningitis vaccine. Right, yeah. In most oh, that was... I think it wasn't, yeah. but... Yeah. Okay, so well, that was to, I think they say, to blind the study, isn't it? So that you'd still see a, a little swelling or something at the point of injection. Yes. But you're still finding out what the difference in that case between the, the vaccinations yeah. is. But then in this phase three, it's much, much larger. So this is checking ongoing safety, effectiveness, dosing levels, side effects, the risk-benefit calculus going forward, uh, comparing with other treatments, because there are other treatments out there. Let's <laughs> talk about those. <laughs> no, we found that on, on the, the website. We're not supposed to talk about those, no, but we have done anyway. Um, that can take several years, can't it, generally, the phase three? And in this case, with these COVID vaccines, are we talking generally a couple more years to go? Um, there, I think the end of the trials for these ones is 2023, 
Mm. I think various different dates, January, February 2023 for different ones, from what I've read. But again, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert. This is just no. from my understanding of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's another year at least. So this can take years to come. It could take, generally speaking, with these sorts of trials, many years. And um, I think you are asking for people to be involved with this for decades, 30 years. Is that right? Yes. Yes. We thought we might as well look at it for as long as humanly possible. Mm. You know, we might get the information that we need sooner than that. And people might stop being in the trial sooner than that. But, you know, our aim is to go on as long as we can with as many people as we can so that we can get as full a base of information as possible. Mm. And the crucial thing with this is that anybody who does take part in this has obviously not been vaccinated as part of the control group here, yeah. but that they will not. They say, I'm not going to be vaccinated for, for COVID-19. They might take other vaccines, or whatever, yes, but yeah. for COVID-19, they will remain as part of this control group by saying no going forward. Yes, absolutely. And it is just SARS-CoV-2 vaccines. And we're not saying don't have any other vaccines. It's purely looking at that particular one, mm-hmm. or that particular set set of vaccines I should say. Yeah sure yeah people do talk about the vaccine of course it's not the case because there are a number of vaccines out there. Um, Okay so now what does this involve for people so you ask them to share health information with you. Yes. You say they should report medical events. Yes. And anything related to COVID-19 particularly. Um, What does this mean? I mean, is it reporting that you've got a cold or (laughs) you've stubbed your toe? Yeah, well, Hmm. what happens to begin with, we ask them some basic health questions about their general overall health, because we want a baseline to start from. We want to be able to say, are these generally healthy people or are these generally not healthy people? So that when we're looking through the data, we can say if we need to pick out the people that haven't had a particular Um, illness. So, you know, it's useful for us to know if someone's had um, myocarditis in the past, um, blood clots, etc. So we do ask a little bit of of previous history. Um, And then ongoing, which is really our more important thing. We've got some basic questions that we're asking at the moment, but that is changing. I'll I'll explain why. Um, The questions that we ask ongoing, we ask people to log any medical events that have happened. So if they've been ill in any, not just a sniffle, although, you know, they can add that if they want to, but any sort of if they've had flu, if they've had any major body problem, any major allergies, those sorts of things. We want to know what's happening to the people within our study. But what we're also going to do, and this is going to start from the beginning of October, and this is this is a very COVID-specific question, we're going to be asking people to come once a month to enter a specific set of COVID questions because we believe this winter is going to be particularly interesting in terms of of what the difference is in our first winter between the vaccinated and unvaccinated. So we're going to ask them, have you had COVID previously? Have you had COVID now? And we're going to ask that every single month. Were you tested? Did you have a lateral flow test? Did you have a PCR test? Um, Did any of them test positive? Did they test positive with symptoms or without symptoms? Um, Are you living with someone who's been vaccinated is another question we're going to be asking. Um, I think there's going to be a couple more added as well. So there's going to be a very specific set of questions that we'll be asking every single month of every single person to get a really, really good comparison of these people, the the voluntarily unvaccinated, Mm. um, to compare with the vaccinated ongoing. Mm. I noticed one thing you asked for is blood group. That seems on the face of it a little odd. Why are you asking for that? Right, that's really a speculative question because we can't do anything with it at the moment and it's a voluntary question, you don't have to answer it. Um, But we know from things we've heard about that there will be in the future a need for unvaccinated blood for transfusions. And we thought, well, Mm. you know, if we raise enough money going onwards, we may be able to create a blood bank or we may be able to help other people who are creating one. So if we started to collect blood group types... We might be able to make use of that at some point in the future, but you know, it's it's there, ready. Um, should we okay. to use it. Okay, so this is creating a database for future study. I'll ask you about that in a second. But one of the things that may come up in people's minds immediately is you are asking people to share a lot of personal information here, a lot of health yes. information. Yes. How secure is that information? It's very secure. The information, the health information is all stored in a database um, which has no personal identifiers on it. So we don't ask for the person's name. We don't ask for a full date of birth. We only ask for the month and the year. We don't ask for a full address. We only ask for the um, town or city and country. So we can do demographics on it. Um, same with the knowing when they were born, roughly. Um, and it's linked with an email address only, which is highly encrypted. So the health information is stored without any personal identifiers. It's linked to a separate re- 
I can never say this word, um, repository <laughs> yes. for the people who want who want a card, who want the physical card, obviously need to have that delivered to them. So we do need their delivery address. So if you choose to do that, we do have your address and your name and your photograph. I see. But that's kept in a totally separate repository um, and only linked by a highly encrypted email address. But I will say one thing on, on the security aspect of this, because I know a lot of people said, well, are you just collecting the information of all the unvaccinated so you can give it to the government? <laughs> yeah. But my response is, the government already knows who mm. we all are. Um, you know, we're, we're registered with our doctor's surgeries. They know if we have or haven't had the vaccine and if our children haven't. And actually, by our social media profiles, they probably know before the vaccines even come out whether or not we're going to take it because they've done profiling on all of us. So it's secure. And I'm in there. My children are in there. And, you know, everyone within the group, all our families are in there as well. So it's as secure as it possibly can be. But, you know, they've got our data already. <laughs> Yes, well, this is one of the things that Sorry comes up in... That. Sorry? <laughs> Sorry to sound doom and gloom about that. <laughs> <laughs> that just is the case. And that anticipates what I was going to ask about. One of the things that Hugo brings up in Hugo Talks, one of his videos, I'll come to that um, in, a, in a few minutes from now. But yes, he implies that, yes, this is being collected. And there are certainly some of the comments below his video. People understood him as suggesting this is for the government, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and I just thought, well, yeah, they've got it already. So and, uh, I wasn't too bothered by that. But there are a few questions that will come from his presentation that I'll throw at you in a few minutes from now. Um, okay, so you say that this information is held on separate servers, is that right? So the health information in one server, personal attribution data on the other server. So if anybody hacked in, they'd have to, yeah. they'd have to get hold of both lots and the storage is much more complicated than that. And actually, mm. I can't really answer questions on that. That's our developers. But to be honest, we're not going into detail um, on any of that for anyone anyway, because right. part of security is not telling people exactly how it's all stored. Mm -hmm. Okay, you, you have made provision <laughs> along those lines. Okay, so that's, that Absolutely, gives, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, security is acceptable for us. Okay, and so people can leave at any point, can they, if they've decided Absolutely. to, oh, I want to change my mind and get out of this? Mm -hmm. If anyone wants to leave, um, you can go into the support log and say, I want to leave um, through a mechanism in there. We then ask you to confirm your username, your participant, or the last three numbers of your participant ID. And um, obviously, it has to come from the same email address that your account is registered with. So we don't just willy-nilly delete people. We make sure we check first, hmm. um, and then we delete them. But yes, you can be deleted from at any point. All right. So you do actually delete everything. The record is completely deleted. There's no, it, okay. it's not just um, shut down or, or made, um, oh, I can't remember the word for it. Um, Dormant, <laughs> something like that. Dormant, that that's, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, no, we actually delete the details. You are no longer existing. So if you change your mind, I'm afraid that's it. It's gone. You have to start again. Oh, so you can change your mind again and come back. All right. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Yes, if you want to. Mm. Um, not a problem. I get the impression this is for anybody in the world. I mean, is, is that literally true? Anybody around the world can sign up to this? Yeah, and we've got people in every continent now, I think. Hmm. So many countries, it's it's incredible. We've even had to start a separate German language chat because we were getting so many German speakers. <laughs> okay. Um, and there's no restriction, um, health status, age or anything like that. Well, the, the one restriction being you, know, you cannot be COVID-19 vaccinated. Yeah, right. that's, the only, that's the only restriction. And actually, we have got a sort of not, a, I wouldn't call it a loophole, but if you have been vaccinated, but you don't want your dependents to be vaccinated, you can register yourself in the system because um, children can register in the system, but only their parent can register them as dependents. So if a parent wants to register their children in the system yeah. and the children haven't been vaccinated, but they have, they can be in the system. Um, there is an option to choose that you've had the um, SARS-CoV-2 vaccine and we wouldn't then include you in any data extractions. Okay. They would be ignored. Right, I see. I noticed the sum of £6 appearing somewhere, um, but elsewhere it said it's free. So is it free or is it not free? It's totally free to participate. You get a digital ID, which you can screenshot on your phone. You can use that. If you want the plastic card, that's for our associate subscribers who are helping to fund this because we are completely self-funded. We haven't got money coming from anywhere else. So mm. everything is self-funded. So if you want to subscribe, um, there are two costs. There's an individual subscription and there's a family subscription. As an individual, you pay £10 upfront, which is made up of £4 initial setup and your first £6 quarterly subscription. And then it's £6 per quarter ongoing. So it works out at £24 a year. So it's really not expensive. And then if you're a family, and that means you can have up to, I think it's eight cards printed now, um, 
so eight family members or dependents, it's £14 initially, um, well, it works out of £20 initially, sorry, with £14 of that is your setup, and then it's your first um, £6 quarterly subscription and then six pounds ongoing the same as everyone else so again it works out at 24 pounds a year but your card your id card is to show that you are an associate of the control group cooperative because we're a cooperative okay so this is like a little plastic card the same size as a credit card yes that you can pull out and show to people so if you're if you go for the free version then you're not an associate you don't pay anything yes. but you can still benefit from this yeah, with a digital version yeah the digital id id card looks exactly the same and you can show it to people in the same way so hmm. yeah it, it's still good and you can if you want to print it. it's not designed to print so it's a bit hmm. tricky to print not on purpose just yeah. because to make it a digital card and work well we couldn't also make it printable but you you can get it to print if you wanted to so it's just a, little, just a little image that you would then have on your smartphone or whatever and just show to somebody. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, you say that the money is raised from this being reinvested in the project. Fair enough. But you then say, and its community. I'm just wondering what that means, and its community. Well, because what we're trying to do is create a community and the associates are part of that community, as are the participants, but the associates are the ones who will actually have a say in what we do going forward. So, for example, um, if we're looking in the future at making a blood bank, that will be for the benefit of our participants and associates, but the associates will be the ones who help us to decide whether or not that's what we want to spend the money on. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. We're also setting up infrastructures for all sorts of other things to to create a community around the world of people who are unvaccinated because we really feel that mm. we're going to need a lot of support going onwards in this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's described as a study. Yes. Um, I'm getting the impression mostly it's, at the moment anyway, it's, it is a growing database mm -hmm. um, in anticipation of future study. So my question here is, you know, to what extent is this intended for study purposes and to what extent is this intended as a form of resistance to... COVID vaccine coercion? Yeah. Obviously both, but in your mind, primarily, what weighting does it have? Is, is it just 50-50? No, no, primarily it is a study mm -hmm. because we want to be able to prove whether or not the, un, the voluntarily unvaccinated have better health outcomes mm -hmm. ongoing than the vaccinated mm -hmm. because really everything that the government does to shut us down, whatever's happening, it's all done on data. So they quote statistics and say, right, these numbers are up or these numbers are down, therefore we need to close this, open this, put on masks, take off masks. It's all done on numbers. So what we're doing is the exact same thing that they're doing. We're using numbers. So if we can say, hmm. I don't know, say 90% of our, of our participants had no illnesses over the winter period, or, you know, let's just take this winter period because this is going to be our first cut of data after the winter. So, um, say 90% of them had no illnesses over the winter. Um, of all the, uh, we also collect um, information about pregnancy as well. Um, so, say for example, 80% um, of the people who, the women who became pregnant in the study, were still pregnant or had successful pregnancies at the end of, of the period that we're looking at compared to, you know, less in the vaccinated group we don't know if that's going to happen but from what we've heard um, fertility is an issue well you know if we can show statistics that prove that the unvaccinated have a better health outcome then a lot of the government mandates actually don't make a lot of sense yes so we, we are trying to prove a point yes using data yes yeah, so you, you say we um you say that you are it's not just me. <laughs> no 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 okay but, but people might be wondering what we mean especially if they've not been to the website and if you go to the website you stress that uh, you are independent you stress you're, you're independent of yeah. pharmaceutical corporations yeah, but my question here is what about other institutions do you have any links to government bodies universities anything like that no none whatsoever we are just a group of citizens hmm. we're all individuals with you know we've previously had other careers some of us are still doing work None of us have got links to government. Um, none of us got links to BBC. In fact, most of us are no longer paying our licences. So, you know, <laughs> just in case right. anyone brings that up. Um, we're citizens. We're, doing, we're the citizens doing the science because the government isn't doing it. Um, we are trying to forge links with doctors and professors. And we're getting a lot of people who are coming on board and, and talking to us and helping us. Not many of them are actually coming out and, and saying they're linked with us because they're a bit nervous because we are a group of citizens as opposed to some official organization hmm. um we haven't got any universities on board and i would be wary of of working with any universities because uh, from talking to people i know a lot of their funding does come uh -huh. from organizations that the sort of people who are in our database would not want to be associated with so you know anyone that we do work with 
we're going to be very, very careful about who they are and who they represent. And, mm. you know, it's, it's, yeah, we're going to be very careful. You're going to be very careful. Um, so you will have independent researchers in future. So when this database is handed over, well, somebody says, we'd like to, yeah, we'd like to do this, we'd like to study the data that you have here. You say that it's going to be okayed by your ethics panel. Yes. Um, all right. So who is this ethics panel? And okay, who are these independent researchers going to be? How, how are you going to know they're independent? Independent of what? You know, a lot of questions yeah. floating around that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right. First of all, with the data, we're not going to be handing over the data. Mm -hmm. um, what we will be doing is extracting statistics from it and enabling the people that we approve to use those statistics. Mm. So it's not going to be whole records by any means. So it might be, for example, um, I don't know, a set of statistics that say how many pregnant women are still pregnant between these periods and these periods and haven't had a PCR test or, or you know, it's going to be stuff like that. It's not going to be whole data sets um, and whole people's records. The ethics panel we haven't got yet because we have essentially done this whole thing backwards. So usually when, when somebody sets up a study or a clinical trial, I've had to to learn this as we've gone along but they go through all sorts of bureaucracy they create their ethics panel they get approvals and then they go and find a developer to create the database and then they recruit their participants we've kind of disrupted this whole thing because we're a group of citizens and said well let's do it our way we've created the receptacle to put it in we've recruited the participants and we're still recruiting them now and now what we're trying to do is get the people on board who are going to make this legitimate so we are reaching out to scientists, professors and doctors to say, mm. can you come and help us? Can you do some mm. statistic and that statistical analysis for us? Can you be on our ethics panel? Um, and, you know, what else can you do to help us? So all of that is backwards to the normal way. But it's meant that we've been able to do it really quickly because when we started this, we've had quite a few people coming to us from organizations saying, oh, you know, can, can we? have a look at what you're doing can we help with what you're doing because we were going to do this but we hadn't yet got as far as finding someone to help us with it so we've been able to do the whole thing very very quickly by doing it mm. i would say wrong but um you know yeah. not not following the normal protocols but for the ethics panel we've got we've already got people um who've reached out to us some fairly eminent people saying mm. actually you know when when we come to that aspect of it we'd be very interested in doing that mm. Um, but we're also looking at actually um, getting official registration as well. Um, we've got some people who are looking at that for us too. And what does that mean, official registration? Well, we're as soon as you use the word official, I think some people think, oh, right, not having to do with that. What do you mean by that? Yeah, no, no. In, in terms of actually registering as an official trial, which gives you official trial status. We haven't got official trial status right. at the moment, which means that the exemptions that apply to official trials don't apply to us. It wouldn't mean that we would have to do anything. It would just mean that, well, we'd have to have certain amounts of data, um, certain data points um, that are looked at. But it, it, it doesn't mean we hand over our data to anyone or give anyone that we don't want to have access to our data. It just means we are registering officially as, as a study. Okay, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. It just means it, it'll have meaning. Um, people will have to take it seriously. Yeah. That's not to say that they won't take it seriously anyway. <laughs> no, but I see it's, it's icing on the cake. I see. Yeah, um, one hmm, one problem immediately, and I'm not sure how you can get over this, is that, okay, mm -hmm. you, maybe you assemble this ethics panel and you have eminent people. I, mean, I won't ask you who they are at this moment. Um, mm -hmm. But 30 years from now, <laughs> we know what I've got to say. Yes, exactly. Who, who is that ethics panel? going to be and um you know what will their criteria be i mean you're asking people to sign up to something now and they don't know what's going to happen decades from now no but the, the thing with this is is we're not going to be getting everyone's data then after 30 years showing that data the data extraction will happen continually at different points right. so it's an ongoing process certainly after this winter we're going to be extracting some data and looking at it and then and there may be certain events or certain weeks where we want to extract data so the the data extraction and analyzing the data is going to happen constantly throughout the whole period um and the ethics panel they will change as will the directors eventually as well because i mean you know in 30 years time you know <laughs> i don't want to say how old i'm going to be but um <laughs> you know. not too old i shouldn't think <laughs> yeah a little older than um, i am now hmm. Yeah, well, 30 years, I presume. Yeah. <laughs> um, as I will be if I'm even here. Um, now, what was I going to say about that? Um, oh, it just, just crossed my mind, actually. Um, you talked about directors. You, you are a limited company. Mm. Why is that the case? Um, 
I'm not terribly good at explaining the legal side of this, um, so you have to bear with me. But mm-hmm. basically, we we are a platform cooperative, which is a, a legal limited entity. So we are registered with Companies House, but we are a platform cooperative, which means we are a cooperative that works in other countries as well. And as a cooperative, we don't have shareholders, and we won't be paying dividends to anyone. So this is really, it really is a citizen run project um Mm. so the associates will have a certain amount of ability to steer where we go i'm just trying to think of other aspects business side of of these sorts of things is not my forte at all um but it's i I believe another reason for becoming a cooperative is that we cannot be taken down we cannot be um have a um what's the word an aggressive takeover is that the right term oh okay so somebody impression and, and and buy shares and take us over because we don't have shares all right and people who become associates of this as per the name of this presumably they have a limited very very limited liability with regard to this only what they've actually contributed in terms of just perhaps losing that money you know yeah i don't think they have any liability at all i would need to double check that sorry i don't want to answer those questions no no no. i I can send you some information on platform cooperatives Mm. um actually there's a leaflet on it that will explain it do if you would send that to me, I could put anything yeah. relevant to that in, in yes, the notes. If anybody's worried about that aspect of it, I just wanted to just get an idea of why that's the case. Um, we're, we're, we're like a community cooperative, but on a much bigger scale. Right. Um, just going back to the the data sharing. Okay, it's not at the end of thirty years that all this suddenly gets shared. Okay, it can happen no. at certain points along the road as as appropriate and shared with yeah. people as is decided is appropriate by the ethics panel at any particular time. Um, yeah. Can people, that is associates, I suppose, can they decide whether they are happy with that or not at any given time? Or can they say, ah, I'm not sure about that, you know? Well, what we're going to be doing is putting all of this information to the associates. So we've got a separate chat group with the associates and um, they've got separate pages on the website where as we start doing all of this, we're going to be putting up information for them and questions to them. We'll be, mm. In fact, we're about to send out an email to them asking about the next step um, and what they want to do with it. So mm. they will be involved in all aspects of this because they are supporting it, they're funding it, and therefore yes. they have the right to actually say what happens. Excellent. So it's very democratic then. Completely. This is totally citizen science. And this is yeah. this is the way that I hope um, all medicines and vaccines can be looked at in the future, not by pharmaceutical companies who have a vested interest in it going a certain way, um, but community groups who fund it themselves and therefore really put everything into it to make sure that, you know, the outcome is, is the true outcome, mm. whatever that happens to be, you know, whichever way it happens to go. Mm. All right. The moment has come. I'm going to ask you about the Hugo Talks video. Um, I know we touched on it, but I think we need to just say a little bit more about it because I think it's had some impact, sufficient impact for you to mention it on your website. Um, So, uh, yeah, I can imagine. Um, So a little while ago, I think his name is Hugo. So it's Hugo Talks. um, Very heavily criticised your group in a video. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to say I don't agree with everything that Hugo says. I I find some of his material good, but I'm certainly not convinced by his reasoning on this one. Um, But some people may have seen it. So um, in this video, he claims that because you have written, so he says, for the Conservative Woman website, and that the editors of the Conservative Woman website have what he calls links to the establishment, things like the BBC, TVAM, national newspapers, lobby group that lobbies government about climate policy, things like that. But because of those links, those associations, somehow that renders you suspect in some way. Um, It's quite a convoluted argument that seems to have rather poor connections at each point along the way. Um, Go on, give me your your fuller reaction to that. Well, if Hugo, whoever he is, had actually spoken to either the Conservative Woman magazine or myself, which he hasn't, so he's done zero research on this, he would have discovered that I didn't write the article. So everything else that he said is completely irrelevant. It wasn't written by me. I've never written for the Conservative Woman. It would be great. I'd love to because I'm a writer. It would be great if I had, but I haven't. He could be. (laughs) So that that completely blows everything. It's Mm -hmm. a lie. Mm. He has lied. And I've emailed him. I've tweeted him. I put um, a message under the video and he hasn't come back to me to correct that. So Mm. it's based on incorrect information. Mm. I think maybe going too far to say it's a lie because I think you could be forgiven for thinking that you had written it because 
although the the article doesn't actually appear, as far as I know, I, I looked for it. It doesn't appear on the Conservative Woman. I think it's been taken down because if you call them so much hassle. Right. Okay. I, that explains that one. Mm. Um, okay. So I went to the Wayback Machine. So I have found it. They've cached it, of course, and it does bear your name. So how's that? My name. My name's in it. I don't think my name's as the author because I certainly didn't write it. It was written by a lady called Andrea Allardyce. Okay. Uh, well, no, it gives the impression that you wrote it. It's quite you know, okay. prominent oh, at okay. the top. Um, so I can understand right. why I, I he like thought it. that. So, <laughs> Okay, but no, that's a misunderstanding on his part rather than a lie. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, but I would have assumed, having heard from me, because I did email him, right. having heard from me that I didn't, he would have corrected that. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be the, the right thing to do, having you know slandered me and saying right. I've got all these links. Mm. He really should, if he was a, a decent truthful person which I, I believe he's portraying to be you know on the side of truth mm. you know once he's found out the truth one would assume that he would correct it mm. so I'm, I'm cross mm. I'm cross about yeah. it because yeah. it I spent hours having to answer emails about it yeah okay well I'm, I'm glad that you you know having this small opportunity here to you know to correct that um <laughs> uh, might make a small difference um <laughs> <laughs> very small um yeah, so w- w- what about this? I mean, again, mentioned that, you know, uh, okay, so there are people at the Conservative Woman, ex-BBC, and all this sort of thing. That, that's all completely relevant, irrelevant, isn't it, anyway? I mean, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, well, if that's a reason to reject people, because they used to work with the BBC or something, you'd have to exclude people, you know, big names like John Pilger and Neil Oliver and Peter Hitchens and Tony Gosling. and th- You know, it's, it's, it's a crazy argument, isn't it? I mean, I will say for clarification, I did used to watch the BBC. <laughs> yes. There's yes. a link. Ah, you know? right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> you hear that, everybody? <laughs> you used to. Yes. Okay. I used, I used to. I don't anymore. Mm. Okay. Going on from that scepticism, and if you don't mind me probing a little further, yeah. just looking at reasons why people might be slightly hesitant to be involved, now, rightly or wrongly, um, when I look at the guide, so this is the guide to how to apply, it asks for, and, I, and most of these things I, I understand, if people think about it, they will understand too, it asks for date of birth, well, not completely the date of birth, it's not the actual day, is it? No. Um, closest town and city, okay, so closest one, uh, state or county, country, Occupation, I'll come back to that in a second. Um, Have you had COVID? Why do you want to join? I'll come back to that one. Biological sex, medical uh, conditions, uh, vaccination history, and a photo, a little mugshot of yourself. So quite a lot, quite a lot of information there. Why are you asking for occupation? Because it doesn't seem, at least it's not on the front of the card. What's that for? That's really just for when we do demographics. So if we wanted to, for example, look at um, people working in care, or in health services. I mean, that it, it's probably mostly for okay. people who work in health services. Um, but, you know, it might be that we want to look at our particular occupations more prone to not taking this vaccination. Someone might say, you know, what are the occupation types within your data set? Are they mostly blue-collar workers? Are they, you know, are they mostly, mm. I don't know, a particular sort? So it's just to give a really good picture of the sort of people that have chosen not to take this SARS-CoV-2 vaccine. Okay. so that, You don't have to enter that information if you don't want to. I think it's, it's yes. not mandatory. Yes, a number of them say prefer not to say. Um, mm. In fact, this one, it asks you, why do you want to join up? It gives a drop-down menu. One of them is prefer not to say. Uh, yeah. You do, however, ask, uh, well, you know, what are the reasons? Um, well, one is distrust of pharma. One is distrust of government. Another one is prefer natural remedies, which I thought could be seen as implying an anti-vaccine position. Now, mm. yeah, now this one did worry me slightly. Uh-huh. Why is that relevant to future research? Because that could be I would say misinterpreted as people thinking, yeah, you're trying to, you're trying to give dissent information to government. Um, I suppose you could see it like that. <laughs> I mean, we also ask people if they've never had a vaccine before, mm. um, and and I guess this one is 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 fairly similar. The reason we're asking these two questions is is a very similar vein because one of the things that we're very interested to find out, and this is actually probably more for us but I think other researchers will be interested in it too is of the people within our database there's going to be a cohort who've never had a vaccine at all in their lives Mm. and I think it would be very interesting to just to see what the health outcomes of those people are compared with people who've had vaccinations but not had the SARS-CoV-2 vaccine Mm. so there's nothing sinister Mm. you know we really are trying to to show the data and that's that's it just we want to know what makes a difference? What makes a healthier person? 
Yes, indeed, and I tend to believe you. However, <laughs> um, which is which is why I'm talking to you. Um, but uh, what about the other ones? Distrust of pharma and distrust of government. Why are those relevant? Those were put in there because we'd had several people um, asking us to put those in there. Mm. I forget what questions. We'd had a few questions to begin with, but we talked to other people because we, we've spent a lot of time. This this whole database has evolved massively since when we first started. It, it's changed and, and got so many mm. more questions and, and stuff added to it. Um, and it's been done based on what people have said to us that they want um, to be able to answer. So we've added things into there. So they just want to register that opinion. It isn't actually of any use to the study. Well, no, it's it's useful to the study because when somebody comes back and says, well, you know, the people in your database, why haven't they had the vaccine? Is it because they have had previous bad reactions to vaccines or is it because they just don't like the government? You know, it's an interesting demographic to know. Mm. I mean, it doesn't mean to say we're going to share that with the government. Mm. Mm. But, you know, there, there are people on the side of the people who've been unvaccinated who want to know as well. But you don't have to put that information in if you don't want to. Sure, sure. Okay. And you don't um, even have to be on the database if you don't want to. <laughs> well, no, of course not. No, no, no. But you can be on the database, but not include that information. If, if that's, you can yes. put, um, I think there's, you can choose a different answer to it or, or, or mm-hmm. wish, do not wish to decl- disclose. Yes, yes. All right. So we're, we're trying to give people options so that they don't have to give information that they're not comfortable with giving. I just wonder whether those questions, OK, they, they could be useful and you are responding to what people say. I wonder whether that could be backfiring, because when I read it, it made me feel a little bit wary. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> could they be removed, perhaps? Should they be removed? I don't think so, because people tend to want them in there. Mm. We had it initially as you could just choose one, mm. um, and people complained because they wanted multiple, um, wanted to be able to choose multiple mm. ones, so we had mm. to change it so they could choose more than one. Mm. Okay, I can see why people might want to say that. Um, so, yeah, I, I understand that. Um, <laughs> all right, one last one of these. <laughs> um, as you've said many, many times, community cooperative um that sounds great okay so we are asked as participants of this community as potential participants of this community uh, this cooperative share quite a lot of personal information uh, yet i can't find out about who is running this project I've, I've looked well maybe i've not looked hard enough but i've had a look um i know that you're part of it but i don't know anybody else um well, we're all registered on company's house all uh-huh. the directors okay for a start so if you go to company's house you'll see us all there uh, our names and, and information so that's um, and plenty of people have done that and tried to expose us as such um, the, the reason we haven't put information about us on the website is two reasons really firstly um, because none of us are medically qualified we are just citizens and we're not researchers I mean um, there's his data analyst so he's he's the most qualified to be doing this because you know he, he builds databases and analyzes data but the rest of us we're just a ragtag bunch of citizens at the end of the day. Mm. And so putting our bios on the website really wouldn't benefit it in any way whatsoever. The second reason is because we're all, we've all got families. We've, we all know that this is what we're doing is, is contentious. And it puts us at risk of minimum sort of hate and, and maximum who knows what else. And so mm. in order to keep ourselves safe, we've tried to keep that information out of public realm as much as possible um another thing that's come up actually particularly in germany they've, they've all got onto this and we've had articles written about us there the fact that our office address or the registered address on the website it's not our actual office it's the office of our accountant um and it looks like a, a, a dodgy dingy little office because it's it's his registered of, uh, office address we've used that because we want to keep us safe and we want to keep your data safe you know, the, the participant status. So if we start revealing exactly where our office is, where our servers are held, etc., you know, it puts everything at risk. And what we're doing is, you know, ever so slightly contentious. Indeed, yes. So, you know, people have got to understand we're doing this for our safety. But that said, we've got telegram groups. I think we've got five, five or six different telegram groups. And on the question and answers one, there are lots of pin posts explaining exactly what we are, um, who some of us are, and actually most of us are on the Telegram chats interacting and talking to participants on a regular basis. We do Zoom calls with them, and a lot of them have got to know us quite well. So we are there, and we're out there. We're just trying not to put our stuff directly where it can get abused. Mm. 
Hmm. Yes, excellent answer. Thank you very much for that. That does clarify that completely. Um, okay, um, I just wanted to ask a question here about the use of the card, yeah. because I met somebody, the only person I've ever met actually in the flesh who has one. I went along to a stand in the park um, the other day on Sunday, and I met somebody and they flashed this card and I said, oh, gosh, I'm going to speak to one of the people connected with that. And I asked him, you know, have you had it a while? Or I can't remember what he said, you know, I've had it a couple of months or something. And I said to him, well, have you had occasion to use it? No, no, not really. So, I mean, okay, that's not to say it isn't useful. Um, and, of course, Hugo in the video said it's completely useless because it doesn't have a legal status. And I, don't know, I mm-hmm. think I, I may even have said already in this, I think, well, there's there are more purposes than just legal purposes. Um, could you tell us what some of the possible uses of this card could be? Yeah, absolutely. And actually, in one point, in the UK so far, we haven't actually, the unvaccinated haven't actually really been terribly restricted from going anywhere. So we haven't really needed to use it as yet. Yes. Um, that's one point. The The purpose of the cards originally, there, there are two, pur- well, three purposes, really. Um, our first and main purpose was to raise visibility of the unvaccinated because we feel that there are a lot of us. We're about to be shut out of society. We have been in many of the countries like Australia and France, um, but uh, in England, not so much yet. But that's coming at the end of September. But we really feel that we need to stand up and say, look, we're here. We're valid members of society. We're not dangerous. We're not nutters. And this card, sort of, it, it's a way of... of showing we're here but also um another purpose for it and a quite important purpose for it we felt was on the front of the cards it says must not be vaccinated in red letters that is primarily i wanted to put it on there for the children because our idea was that for children going into schools i know the vaccination hasn't come in for them yet and we still don't know if that's certainly happening um but it certainly is in other countries but you've got something called Gillick competence, yes. which is a child's ability to uh, make their own decisions about their body, which I believe is from the age of 12 and upwards. I know that there is a lot of coercion around all sorts of, of vaccines. I, I think the HPV vaccine, um, I've read parents, mm. you know, feeling their children are being coerced into it when they didn't particularly want them to. And so because children can be coerced and, and supposedly have their own minds, um, make their own minds up about it, if a parent doesn't want them to have this particular vaccine and the child doesn't want to have it but is worried about being coerced, having this card and showing it when someone says, oh, mm. come on, you, you, you want it, they can show this card and it really is like a shield to them because mm. I don't think any sensible adult is going to argue against an ID card with the child's name photograph and must be vaccinated on it. That's my feeling. And in fact, we've had, we haven't had a lawyer look at it yet, but I've I've had a couple of of, um, medical people who know about legal stuff look at it and and say that, yes, the message on there is very strong um, and should hold up Mm. um, in terms of of people not being able to go against it. So that's the second purpose of it. Can I just say about that? Because I thought that was a particularly strong point, actually. Um, Because this whole idea of Gillick competence, I mean, to extend it to this, especially under the conditions of all this propaganda and the peer pressure that is likely to to happen, I don't think they're in a position to make a a free choice about this. Um, You know, that coercion will be a, a real thing. So if they do not, and their parents don't want it either, I think this could be a very powerful a reaction to that, a resistance to that. Yeah. Um, so go on, there are some other things as well, aren't there? Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, the other aspect of it is that the card, it looks pretty official. And mm. we've said, well, you know, that, well, the government in, in the UK, and I think it's similar in other countries, I don't know the exact details, but certainly in the UK, um, if you are exempt from having the vaccine, it's by self-declaration. So it's very woolly sort of ruling that I think it's just one sentence that says, um, if you have a medical exemption, then you may, may need to self-declare. Mm. So it's it's very simple. But you've got all these gatekeepers on, it will be nightclubs, um, I don't know what else, it'll be in France, it's supermarkets and all sorts of other places. These gatekeepers who really, I guess in a lot of instances, don't want to have to go through the hassle of checking everything out. If you've got a nice car that you just say, look, I'm in a control group, mm. I'm exempt, in a lot of cases they're going to accept it. Yeah. And actually, we've had instances of this happening. Somebody, I think on the chat, now I'm pretty sure it was Germany, I've, one of our the other directors told me, but I'm pretty sure someone in Germany, which is pretty locked down, used it to get in somewhere, and they accepted it. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying we can use it for travel, because I suspect that's going to be pretty tied up, but for small venues and things, legally we are allowed exemptions. This card just makes it a simple way to show it. There are other forms as well. There's um, exemption letters and, and other sorts of cards. But this one, because it looks so official and, you know, it, it gives those people who want to tick a box a nice way to say, yeah, I checked. It's fine. 
It gives them plausible deniability on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, I totally agree. Yes. Yeah. Fascinating. Uh, I thought also it could be morally useful because uh, some people say, oh, you're being selfish, <laughs> not being vaccinated. But you're not, are you? Because, of course, you're involved in this and this is a socially responsible thing to be involved with. Yeah. And in actual fact, um, I had a chiropractor who said that to me. Um, one of the first cards that went out, he came back and said, look, one of my patients said, well, why aren't you being vaccinated? And he said, well, I'm, I'm in the control group. And he showed him his digital card. He hadn't got a plastic card at that time. Hmm. Um, he showed him his digital card and, and the client said oh well at least you're doing something and it is something it's not a lie it is something yeah, um, absolutely. You know, and we're not yeah, it is a project it's a justified not. project yeah, mm, yeah sorry we're, we're not saying it's an exemption it's a membership card for associates that's all it is um mm. but you use it as you want and more and more people are starting to use it um to get themselves into places where mm. you know they they would be exempt but they need to show an exemption and this works for a lot of them mm. Yeah, you know, I, I want to make these cards really recognisable so that they do eventually get accepted mm. because if they become familiar, you know, and, and it is a, mm. a legitimate study. We're not official. We're not officially registered, but we are a, leg- a legitimate study. Um, we're doing good. We're helping the people who are taking mm. the vaccine to find out how safe it is, yes. actually. Another thing is, of course, we are accused of being anti-science, all these sort of propaganda memes that are chucked around these days. We're anti we're all anti-vax, even if we've been vaccinated for other things, doesn't matter. Anti-vax, anti-science. Know, How can you be anti-science if you present this and say, I'm part of a control group, which of course is in itself a scientific term? <laughs> yeah. And, I, and actually, I mean, I, I know there's all these, these memes going on on Twitter showing pictures of um, people who are anti-vaxxers um, doing all their studies, sitting on the toilet, watching their phone, which, you know, is, is disingenuous to say the least. But Actually, since starting to do this, and, and we're not anti-vax, you know, we are mm. purely questioning this one particular vaccine. So I'll just point that out. But I have spent so much time on Zoom calls talking to professors and doctors in America, in Germany, mm. you know, the top level experts, epidemiologists in Canada. You know, we've been talking to these people at the top level. They're all taking us very, very seriously. Mm. And, you know, we've learned all sorts of information about this. So, you know, we've are still in the firm belief that we are not going to take this vaccine um, and nor are our families and actually more so having spoken to the people at the top who actually know what they're talking about mm. you know unlike lots of people who've just watched the BBC yeah so we are informed very well informed actually mm. you say you've spoken to a lot of these people very high up people in the medical world for example yeah. okay um, do you get any sense from them that they're thinking mm, this is turning out perhaps to have less to do with public health and more to do with Control, government control, hundred percent. Um, corporate control, hundred okay. percent. Yeah, it, it's shocking actually. Um, mm. I, I've talked to a lot of people now, um, and been on some conferences as well, and it's quite shocking as, as a citizen who's not in scientific fields, actually mm. seeing that the people who do know about the science actually believe that this is all about control and, and less about science. In fact, they, they are all complaining that, that this isn't about science and the science isn't being done. Mm. That, that is their, their biggest complaint, that this is anti-science. This is itself anti-science, yes, indeed. Um, one thing I haven't asked about on the card itself, you have a QR code, which, of course, gives it great verisimilitude. <laughs> Love that word, I have to chuck it in. Um, <laughs> but what, what, what's it for? What does it actually do? It does actually do something. Mm. Um, <laughs> if you scan it with your phone, so the QR code scanner, um, it will take you to a website page that shows you a copy of your card, verifying you as a, a real member of the control group and a little reminder underneath um, that this person must not be discriminated against. So the idea is that mm. should you go to I don't know, a restaurant and say, look, I am truly in this control group, look, you can scan my card and, and, and verify it, they can do that. So each one's individual comes up with your own specific card. Okay, so that's even the case, of course, if you have this little image just on your phone. Yes. Yeah, that's correct. And if you do experience discrimination, are you building a database of businesses that behave in that way? We've actually, within the current system, one of the things that you can report on is discrimination. So there's a section in there lower down where you can report incidences of discrimination. And what we're going to do as we go on, um, you know, in the UK it hasn't really started so much, but as we go on... Mm and we start to have that filled up, we're going to look at the companies that have been discriminating the most and see if we can get some lawyers on board to help us fight it. And again, that will be something that when we've got funds, we will use that towards. Okay. um, Let me just go down here. I think you've answered everything that I had prepared. So I'm going to ask you if there is anything that I have not asked that you would like to include, anything that you feel needs clarifying. Um, Can you think of anything? Um, Not 
so much that needs clarifying because I think you've you've asked mm. lots of the important questions. I think mm. what I would like to say though is that in order for this study to be taken really really seriously, and, and having talked to um, a professor in America about it. He was saying that really we need large amounts of data. We've got, I think, nearly 40,000 people in it at the moment. He said if we can reach over a million, hmm. that is going to be so much data hmm. that really it cannot be ignored. And that is our aim at the moment, to get ourselves over a million people. And we want people in every single country because that shows the widest demographic possible. And if we can prove that the same result is in every single one of these countries for the voluntarily unvaccinated, we have got so many points to prove. We need more people. They don't have to be paying participants. I mean, it'd be great if they are, because that helps us to do more for them. But, you know, it's it, just free participants is great as well, because we need the data. Mm. We need the information, because we need to prove whether or not we are more dangerous to other people and to ourselves or not, and what our health, health outcomes are. You know, we all think we know what the answer is going to be, but we could be proven wrong. Okay, fair enough. Yes. And of course, there is another way of being involved by contributing with just donation, isn't there? You don't have to be an associate in order to do that. No, no, no. You can certainly donate as well if you want to. And actually, sorry, one other mm. point um, I want to make. Mm. We are going to be opening up a further database, uh-huh. um, exactly the same as this one, um, but for people who have been vaccinated. Uh-huh. How would that work then? They're not going to have a card saying, I'm happy to be vaccinated indefinitely. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Yeah, well, to be honest, it's probably more for the people who've been vaccinated, but actually are regretful of it, because I think Mm. those are the people who will want to to be studied and compared with people who haven't been vaccinated. Mm. So I know Mm. that's going to be a harder sell. Mm. Um, Mm. But it means that we, as well as, you know, needing to access um, information from databases of vaccinated people, we'll have our own databases of vaccinated people, too, that we can study against. You sound like you're going to continue being extremely busy and uh, in future perhaps increasingly busy <laughs> Yes, as things pick up um, here in, in the UK. It's a very, very interesting project. Um, obviously, I'm saying to people, you know, take a look at this. Um, your website is uh, vaxcontrolgroup.com. As I always say, there will be links to this in, in the show notes, of course. Um, and, you know, obviously, I'm saying take a look at it. Obviously, we need to decide to what extent each of us is prepared to share our personal information, personal decision, of course. I've not actually decided myself yet, although you've drawn me a lot closer to it uh, with this conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, Very, very interesting in many ways. I I do think it could be useful, obviously, to have a control group in the ED. But, I mean, just on a personal level, um, holding this card or having this image to be able to benefit from that in various ways. Um, I've had people say to me, you know, are you double-jabbed? And, of course, I've been a little tongue-tied to say, no, but, you know, but then to be able to present something like this could could be very helpful. And particularly Particularly that one with yeah. with teenagers um, under this Gillick competence nonsense. Um, I can see how that could work against yeah. that pressure. Um, but a number of other things as well that we've discussed here. So um, not completely useless, as Hugo claims. Uh, uh, useful in, in, indeed in many ways. Obviously a personal decision. I do you know, recommend people check this out. Decide for yourself. Thank you very much indeed, Dini, for discussing this with us today. I'm very grateful to you for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. Show notes for this interview can be found at The Mind Renewed, themindrenewed.com. Podcast music by the brilliant Anthony Rajakov, attribution non-commercial share alike for International. You have been listening to me, Julian Charles, and my guest, Dini Fielder van Cleef, and I very much look forward to speaking to you again in the near future. <laughs>